Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42, and we're going to hear an audio version of the first 36 verses of chapter 42, but we're going to start with the last few verses of chapter 41. Watch this. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother, Benjamin, with his brothers, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them, and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? From the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. No, my lord. But your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. It is as I spoke to you, saying you are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, 
You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. But you, go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them. The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. 
all these things are against me. We are following the story of the life of Joseph, who at the age of 17 had a couple dreams of his family bowing down to him. He was his father's favorite son and his brother's most hated sibling. They sold him into slavery, allowed his father to believe a lie that he had been devoured by animals, and he goes off to Egypt. Prior to going to, into slavery, he was thrown in a pit because some of them wanted to kill him. Reuben, the elder brother, is the one that planned on coming back later and rescuing him. And when he uh, came back from whatever he was doing, to his dismay, Joseph was gone. So he went from the pit to Potiphar's house, where he was elevated, promoted, entrusted with all the belongings and business dealings of Potiphar. But Potiphar's wife really liked him a lot. And after a series of sexual harassing incidents, she falsely accused him of attempted rape. And he wound up going from Potiphar's house into prison. So he went from the pit to Potiphar to prison. And from prison, he wound up in Pharaoh's house. From prison to the palace to having a father-in-law named Potiphar. He was <clears throat> not trying to do alliteration with the letter P like I am, but he was following the program that God had him on to bring him to a place of leadership that would result in the salvation of the world. Abraham, his great-grandfather, was told that through you, will come a seed that will bless the families of the earth, will bless the peoples of the earth. And we know that is the Lord Jesus Christ coming through the lineage of Abraham all the way down through Judah, down to Mary and Joseph both. And being conceived of the Virgin Mary, Christ came into the world and we are here as a result of that blessing. But on the way there, there was blessing to the world and it started with this man named Joseph who was incarcerated for 13 years. And when he was released from prison, he interpreted the king or Pharaoh's dream. And the interpretation of his dreams was that the world was going to experience seven years of plenty and then seven years of unbelievable famine. And his recommendation is that they conserve or stockpile 20% of the amazing harvests that they would experience over the next seven years, and then they could use that reserve to live off of for the next seven years. Well, Pharaoh promoted him to oversee all this, basically made him the governor. He's called the governor in the story. And the seven years came and went. So now he's probably, for 13 years, he's 30, 37. So now probably a couple years into the famine, he's 39 now. And one day while he's dispensing food... Uh, here comes his brothers, fulfilling the dream, bowing down to the ground with money. I find this ironic, but it's just like government. They tax the people 20% of their proceeds, right? And then they charge them money if they wanted it back. <laughs> Isn't that just the way it works? No doubt there were expenses incurred in keeping the grain rat-free, 
keeping it safe from being burned, security guards keeping it from being stolen. So you got to pay something, right? When the people ran out of bread, it literally says they cried out to Pharaoh, we're out of bread. And they said, he said, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. No questions asked. He implicitly trusted this man. It is also ironic to this day, bread is a very important thing in Egypt. So much so that the government subsidizes it so that everyone can afford to buy Egyptian bread. It's like pita bread. Who enjoys pita bread? It's great. They sell it on the street fresh every day. Subsidized by the government for everybody. All right. Little trivia there. So his brothers come in and they, you know, don't recognize him. He's obviously older. He's clean shaven. He doesn't look like them. He looks like an Egyptian. And he speaks to them in the Egyptian language through an interpreter. And he speaks roughly to them. He, he remembers them and he remembers the dream. And in his dealings, he wants to see where their hearts are. So he accuses them of being spies. And they begin to defend themselves by telling them who they are. We're 12 brothers from one father. And our father has our youngest brother with him. And one of our brothers is no more. Strange way to express that. He puts him in prison for three days. <laughs> Was he tempted to be vindictive? He could have been tempted. I mean, we're all tempted to do wrong, right? But he was a noble man. He wanted to see where their hearts were. So when the day came to let them out of prison, he hears them. They don't know he can understand them, yelling at each other for what they did to Joseph. We're suffering now because of what we did to him. And then Reuben launches into this rant and raving thing they've probably heard many times. I told you guys not to harm him. Now his blood's being required of us. It so moved Joseph, he started to weep, and so he went into another room to gain his composure and came out and in their presence tied up Simeon and put him to prison and said, y'all go home, and if you want him back, you got to bring the younger brother to prove who you are. Why did he choose Simeon? I'll tell you why I think. Simeon was the second born. After Reuben was Simeon. And because he learned that Reuben had pled his case, he heard what Reuben said. <laughs> you know, responsibility always falls on the oldest kid. Who's ever been the oldest kid in charge? It falls on you, man. You're going to get the blame. And so uh, Simeon had a price to pay. And so he put Simeon in prison. No doubt he didn't mistreat him or beat him or anything. But they left without Simeon. And they get home, and along the way, they discovered some of their money had been reserved. Well, the story goes, he returned all their money and gave them additional goods so that they could make the journey without dipping into what they had purchased. So they go home with all the grain they bought, plus the money they paid for it, plus uh, food to eat along their way. They are horrified. They are terrified. I don't know if that he did it to mess with their minds. I think he did it because he loved them, cared about them, and it moved them. You know, they got 20 pieces of silver for him. Maybe he didn't want anything to do with their silver. We don't know. But when they got home, Jacob just fell apart. 
And our text today ends, oh no, woe is me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. He's going to kiss Simeon goodbye. <laughs> and I, I can't spare Benjamin. If something happens to him, it, it, it'll be the death of me. And Reuben speaks up and says, listen, if we don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill my two kids. Now, what kind of remedy is that? So then he'll be short, one more son plus two grandkids. That's going to make him feel good. They were under pressure. Can you say pressure? Pressure. Today, I want to speak to you today about something that has the whole world in disarray. I'm going to speak to you about the road to relationship restoration. We're in a world full of division. Kin folks aren't talking to anymore. The divorce rate is high. Some people, they don't know how to fix anything in their life, and one day they lose the will to live and end it all. There's keys in this story that I glean just looking at it closely and then backing away from it that I think can relate to our lives. Relationship restoration. The life you save could be your own. Watch this. Hello? Hi, is this Danny McGrath? Yeah. The Danny McGrath that graduated from Nib High School in 1984? Uh, yeah. Who's this? Um, this is uh, Billy Madison. You probably don't remember me, but I, I went to high school with you. Um, I, I kind of gave you a hard time back then, and I did some things that I thought were funny at the time, but now I realize they were just mean and, and stupid, and I uh, just wanted to apologize, and I hope you forgive me. Yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. It's no problem. Wow, well, that's great. Um, well, I am sorry, and uh, maybe we can get together sometime and, uh, and have some coffee or something. Sure, I'd like that. Okay, well, I'll see you around. Okay. Bye. The Joseph story is kind of the reverse of that. Joseph is the one that was wronged, that now has the opportunity for revenge like you wouldn't believe. He wants to restore the relationship. But he wants, he wants it to be real. You know, when you've been burned bad, don't jump right back in the fire. You know, we should be quick to forgive, but allow trust time to be rebuilt. You don't trust me. That's right. I don't trust you. <laughs> That's a problem. That's right. But we can rebuild it, right? There's no evidence from the biblical text that Joseph ever told his dad what his brothers had done to him. And we don't know that they had ever told their dad. It would have crushed him, would have broke his heart. I think he should have known. He's the dad, right? It was a dysfunctional family, for sure. And there's no one that can hurt you like someone close to you. You know, if a stranger cusses you, it, it's annoying, right? But if it's from someone you love, oh, man, 
it goes deep. So my heart today is that those of us in this room that have been hurt by those they love, that your faith will be made stronger and that the Lord will give you some strategies. If nothing more, one step to take out of all this information. The road to relationship restoration. We're going to talk about where to start, what not to do, and what to watch for. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Where to start? There's four things we need to know as a foundation for restoring our relationship. We need to know these things so you don't make the offense bigger than it is. First of all, we need to know the evils and wrongdoings of others do not have to define us. If you let it, it will. Those things do not have to define us or determine if our story is over. Joseph's story was not over. If he never saw his brothers again, his life went on. Look at this. To Joseph was born two sons before the years of famine, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. So now he has freedom, he has position, he has favor, and he has a wife, an Egyptian wife. And it doesn't stop there. He has two sons. Second thing we need to know, rest assured in this fact, that the Lord is able to help us forget the hardship caused by betrayal from those closest to us. Oh, I, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, you can resist thinking about things over and over and over again. It's called self-control. You have the right to control your mind, to think about what you want to think. Well, I'm not God. I can't forget. Well, the Bible doesn't say God forgets our sins. It says he forgives our sins and he will remember our sins no more. That's not forgetting. That's choosing to not remember. Choosing to not rehearse the wrongdoing over and over again because he's forgiven. Someone reminded Mother Teresa of a betrayal that happened in her life and how hurtful it was. And she said, what are you doing bringing that up? I distinctly remember forgetting that. (laughs) Put it out of your mind so that you can move on. So he has a son. What does he name this firstborn son? Manasseh, which means to forget. He named him Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. God can bless you in spite of others trying to destroy you. The third thing you need to rest assured in these facts, know the losses we experience due to anyone's wickedness can be restored by our God anywhere. Well, I'm in Timbuktu because of them. I can't be blessed. No, you can be. The name of the second son he called Ephraim, which means double fruit. For God is causing me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Do you know observant Jews who bless their children on Friday nights, unlike Gentiles that curse their children on Friday nights, 
they lay hands on them and speak a blessing over them. And part of that blessing is, may the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. These were blessed boys. In spite of what their daddy had done to him, he didn't pass on his bitterness to them so that they were able to be fruitful. And guess what? They fathered two tribes. So technically, uh, Jacob has 13 tribes. The Levites did not have an inheritance in the land, but there were 12 inheritances going, two of which went to Joseph's son. The fourth thing you need to know, this is a starting point for relationship restoration. Know that the righteous will always be vindicated. God will vindicate you. But we have a question to ask. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? In an argument, are you trying to be right or are you willing to lay it down, agree to disagree, and be righteous? Look at what happened. Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Talk about vindication. Now, here's some things not to do. Do not forget your people and the Lord's promises. Don't completely sever your relationships. Make room for Jesus to bring healing, but pray for these people in your life. And remember God's promises to you. What has he promised you? Remember it. Don't forget it. Joseph recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. He remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them. No doubt he had prayed about this very day. And here it is. What not to do. Do not be vengeful due to their possible dishonesty. Look at them pleading their case. No, my Lord, we're not spies. Your servants have come to buy food. We're all one man's sons. We are honest men. Right. Your servants are not spies. Proverbs 20 says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Some preachers will proclaim, I'm anointed, or I'm this, or I'm that. But the key is being faithful. Faithfulness is determined by what we do when no one's watching. So don't be vengeful because people do this kind of thing. This is human nature. Proclaim their own goodness when they have some shortcomings. Do not entrust yourself to anyone too quickly. In this manner, he told them, you shall be tested, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. So on the face of things, he's asking them to prove whether or not their story is true by bringing the baby brother. But in the heart of things, he wants to see if the risk of losing the baby brother causes them any anguish because of what they did to the first baby brother. He was the first baby brother until Benjamin was born. So he's testing them. Jesus himself did not commit himself to, to people because he knew all men. 
and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. People are sinners. They're basically wicked. When they do wrong, it shouldn't throw us into shock. It's what they do. So in the scripture that everybody's so quick to quote, judge not lest you be judged, the next verse, Jesus continues, do not cast your pearls before swine. How do the two go hand in hand? We're not supposed to label people as pigs. Well, obviously, he's not saying to do that. He's saying don't judge people harshly or you're going to be judged harshly. But when it comes to that which is precious to you, be careful to whom you entrust it. Don't let just anybody babysit your kids. Don't let just anyone work on your car. You know, if if their yard is full of cars that they can't fix and now they're going to work on yours. (laughs) I had a friend who did not have a motorcycle who helped me work on my motorcycle and we had to take it to the shop to put it back together. We laugh, we laugh about that to this day. <laughs> Do not let their sinfulness displace your fear of God. What's greater, their sin or Almighty God? What's greater? Wh- who's bigger in this? Your offense or the Almighty? Joseph said to them, Do this and live, for I fear God. He's being careful. They did not understand how his fear of God had to do with any of this. Keep in mind, he's speaking to them through an interpreter. And so uh, he was hurt, definitely hurt. 13 years of agony and, you know, nine plus years of making a decision what he would do when this day came. but he did not allow it to become bigger than his love for God. It was his fear and respect of God that kept him from yielding to Potiphar's wife's temptations. What is biggest in our life? God needs to be. All over America, little girls are singing, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it go. And let God be God. You know, ultimately, he sees everything. And he's not wringing his hands in shock. Oh my goodness, I couldn't believe they did that to him or her. He sees. And he's going to bring a message out of that mess. Proverbs 24, 17. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. Well, the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. So the best thing you can do is be kind to those that have hurt you, especially when they need it. Reuben was like this. I told you guys. You know, he's trying to prove his righteousness. What to watch for. If we're going to be on the road to relationship Restoration, we're talking about reconciliation. Watch for the Lord to bring the conviction of sins. Only he can do it. We can condemn people. We can, you know, lambast people and hurt them. But only God can bring the conviction of sins. 
They said to each other, not knowing he could understand, we're truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. They were reminded, how did he do this? Just by asking them for, to bring Jacob's next favorite son. And this stirred them up. Reuben answered them, said, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Their guilt is, is before them. You know, guilt is not a bad thing if it leads to repentance. It's a good thing. We live in a world that seems to teach that all guilt is bad. It's good if it leads to repentance. It's bad if you don't repent and just live in condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if your conviction of sin leads you to repent, you're not going to be condemned. But if you don't repent, that promise, you've got to read the whole promise. It's there for you. What to watch for. Watch for contrition and stay out of God's way. Don't be like the mailman that delivers the mail and then stands there and makes sure you open it and understand it. Let God be God in every situation. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. He's waiting to see what's going to happen not going to immediately entrust himself to them, as bad as he wants to. He's being wise. What else to watch for? Watch for opportunities to be super generous. How can you bless these that have hurt, hurt you? Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This he did for them. Verse 25. Did these guys deserve it? No. He should have kept them in prison for three years. But that would have really hurt his dad. So he's in a tough place. I'm sure he's praying and asking God, help. <laughs> Give me wisdom in this situation. And watch for more than just the restoration of your relationship. We can't be self-centered in this thing. God's able to do more than we ask, right? We want our relationships restored. We want reconciliation. But God wants global redemption. Can he do such a work that blesses more than just you? Jacob was just so hurt, he was just thinking of himself. He says, you've bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. What about me? What about my hurts? Our hurts are great. They're huge. The loss of a child is the worst thing that can ever happen to a human being. And now it's happened to him twice. And he just can't bear the thought of it happening to him three times when he has some control to prevent it from happening. Watch for more than just the relationship restoration. 
Jacob didn't have any hope. He thought they were dead. I mean, he thought there was no hope for getting Simeon back because I'm not willing to give up Benjamin, so Simeon's a goner. (laughs) Simeon had been a handful anyway. Remember Shechem. And finally, watch for the perception of things from God's view. What does he see? How does he look at things? Jesus said in Matthew 6, and 23, and also in Luke 11, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. And he goes on, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And Luke 11 says, be careful that the light in you isn't actually darkness. He's talking about perception. Be careful with how you look at things. How we look at things determines what we see. If you have a bad perception of someone, they could do good, and you would view it through the eyes of suspicion and see it as something evil. It's just how it works. Jesus warned us with this. How did Joseph perceive what his brothers had done? This was his perception. It comes up in the last chapter of the book. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What caused him to make this statement? Well, Jacob is rejoined with Joseph. The whole family's back together, but they're living in Egypt where there's food. And then Jacob dies, and the brothers think, oh my God, we're goners now. We know he loved dad. The hammer's fixing to fall. So they approach their brother to see how things were with him, since they're the ones that had done such unbelievable wrong to him. And this was Joseph's response. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Psalm 105 says that God sent a famine to the earth, but he sent Joseph ahead (laughs) until the day that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. So God used what they did to fulfill his will. This blows my mind. But how he can take our trial and bring it into triumph. He can take our mess and bring a message. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the reconciliation that we have all tasted with you when we became believers. Thank you that you took the horror of crucifixion and brought life out of it through the resurrection. Lord, we pray you would do it in every situation here, Lord, where unbelievable hurt has happened to my brother or my sister or my friends or our guests. Lord, you know the extent of the pain. But Lord, you're able to bring redemption. Show us, Lord, what to do. Help us to stand on the solid foundation that the story's not over, that we can be fruitful in the land of affliction. And Lord, you show us what not to do and show us how to see things. And then Lord, you, like Joseph, 
experience can show us what to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Relationship restoration, the life you save could be your own. not bumper sticker theology to realize that he'll take a test and bring a testimony out of it. Take a trial and bring us triumph. If you would like prayer about anything, it could be this area or any other area, if you would like for someone to agree with you in prayer for the Lord to bring wisdom, you don't have to give the gory details, just, you know, hey, I'm estranged from someone or I'm sick today or I need wisdom or I, I need strength, whatever. If you could Raise your hand if you'd like to have some prayer. You just raise your hand, hold it up. 
All right, members of the body, look around for those hands that are raised. And leave your seat and go and pray with a person. Keep your hand raised till someone's by you. We do that. The altar is also open for anyone that just wanted, wants to come and talk to God themselves. Do that. Keep your hand raised. All right. Yes. Redeemer lives. Amen. He's able to pull us out of the all awfulness of sin to reveal the awesomeness of Him. The beggarly elements of this world to the beautiful elements of His world. To save us from crises caused to Christ's cause. From defeat to dominion. From the effects of sin to the fruit of mercy. From gory details to glorious destiny. From hellish horror to heavenly holiness. From ignorance and blindness to eyes that see. From judgmentalism to justice serve. From killing, our killing to his kindness. Our mess, his message. No hope and no peace to new hope and knowing peace. Who knows that peace is a person? From the old ways of guilt and destruction to the new ways of guiltless restoration. From the pain of regret to the payment of redemption. From quivering weakness 
to quickening wonderful power. From being really wrong to being made really righteous. From having a shame name to receiving the new name that's written down in glory. And it's mine, and it's mine. From trials to triumphs, from an ugly past to an ultimate future, from victimization to victorious vision, from worry to worship, from the excrements of our wickedness to the excellence of His amazing grace. From youthful lust to yielded trust, from the zoo of our consequences to the zeal of Christ and his consciousness. Lord, we thank you that you redeem every situation. Lord, I thank you that you're giving steps of action to your people, that you're making the foundation upon which they approach people. Lord, that you're giving them timing. Show us what not to do, Lord. We can make things worse, but Lord, you can do what only you can do. Help us to do our part. Thank you for Joseph and the example of his, of his story that made the way for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. May you bless and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them your peace. In Jesus' name. Go get them, tigers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.